All right, so here's the thing you can set your watch by at church. December happens and what's going to come? A Christmas series, right? You know that's happening. If we didn't do that, that might be a little bit weird to some of us, right? So here's where we are. First week of December, we're launching into our Christmas series, which is called Silent Nights. Obviously a play on the famous song that you've probably sang. If you've been a part of a church for a long time, usually it happens on Christmas Eve. We'll probably sing that at Christmas at the warehouse. And so just kind of thinking about Christmas and moving into this. I don't know where you're at with your Christmas time in your mind, right? Maybe for some of us, Christmas never ended from last year, right? We just kind of kept rolling and we were excited about it before Thanksgiving even got here. Maybe you were ready for Christmas. Maybe some of you, uh, you have to wait till we get past Thanksgiving. Then you can feel like, okay, now we're into Christmas. Now we can put up the decorations. Now we can do all those things. Maybe you were like me and you woke up the other day and I literally looked at Becca and went, oh man, it's December. That was, I knew it was coming. Like it was like obvious, but at the same time, it just didn't click. And there's, there's something that has happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you over the years. And it just feels like Christmas gets here faster and faster. Summer has felt longer to me. So when I was a kid and I was in school, summer went so fast because you just wanted summer to last forever because you weren't going to school. Now, all of a sudden I get to the end of summer and I'm like, this is great because all this great stuff is happening in the fall, football, soccer, hunting, all that great stuff. And then I blink and all of a sudden it's Christmas. Okay. It's awesome. And I, and I love every bit of it, but I know that for some of us, if it came fast, you might be like, oh my word, I'm not even ready for this. Like this is here trying to figure it out, trying to get all this stuff done. Schedule's already going. And so here, here's what I would say in the midst of this. And this is going to kind of set the table a little bit for the conversation we're going to have today and we're going to have over the next couple weeks. I know that Christmas is insane in really good and sometimes difficult ways. And what my encouragement would be to you is to be here on Sunday mornings, to come together, to get here and to celebrate together. I know we say the little cliche thing, right? Reason for the season and all of that stuff. But here's why, right? We do celebrate this season for a specific reason that's very important to our faith. And so I would encourage you, I know it's going to be crazy. And again, we're going to talk about that more today. I know it's going to be insane. Be here and let's let's reconnect, right? Let's take that moment and let's every week come together and celebrate what we have to celebrate through this Christmas season. And so thinking about this idea of silent nights, I want to start with with, with this question. Maybe you've never thought about this before. What is your relationship with silence? What's your relationship with silence? I think that we all have a bit of a unique relationship with silence. Some of us really enjoy it. You, in order to recharge, you need quiet. You need to be away. You need to sit by yourself. Some of us, in order to recharge, need to, to not be quiet, right? We go to a party. We interact with people. We get excited. Like, that starts to fill our bucket. And so some of we all have a different relationship with silence. And I think maybe even as you, we get older, we have a different relationship with silence. When I was a kid, I wanted nothing to do with silence. And now that I have kids, I kind of like the silence, right? Like, it's just kind of how it shifts in our minds as we go through and conversations. But, but here's what I also know is that sometimes we can, there can be good and bad things that come with silence. And so I don't know where you're at. I just want to walk through maybe where you might find yourself as you think about how you interact with silence and what that looks like. Here's what I know, okay? First of all, silence can mean rest sometimes, okay? I'm not going to take the informal poll. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but here's what I know in a room this size. There are those of us who in order to sleep, you need it dead silent. No noise, no nothing. Now, here's what I also know. There are those of you who in this room need noise, 
in order to sleep. You need the sound machine. I'm getting more nods on this than I've gotten in a sermon in a long time. So we get, we get the, we get the sound machine going. You've got a fan going. Here's the third thing I know. You both married each other. So one of you needs silence and one of you needs the quiet. And so for different people, silence can mean rest. You need it quiet maybe to sleep. You, you look for that silence and that quiet to be there in order to rest. And I think at some level we all would go, okay, in order to be restful, I need things off my plate, right? I need things to be open on the schedule or something like that. And so sometimes silence can mean rest. Silence can also mean this. It can mean loneliness. We think about someone who may not be here anymore, or the kids that moved out, or the kids that moved across the country, or the chaos that used to ensue at holidays, and it just doesn't quite anymore. And so the silence is actually a marker of something that we miss. We wish it was a certain way, or we thought it would be a certain way, and so the silence gets in our way, and it becomes a sign of what's not there. And so silence in that sense can be kind of frustrating, can be sad, it can be lonely, and it's a marker of what we miss or what we wish we had. Silence can also be a sign of boredom. This is where, as a kid, this was the case for me. If, there, if you told me I had to sit somewhere and I had to not do anything and I had to be quiet, that was not the place I wanted to be, especially because most of those environments, you also had to dress up and look nice, which I didn't like either. So now I'm uncomfortable. Now I have to be quiet. Now I have to sit there. Right? There's no game going on. There's nothing I can play. There's nothing I can do. And I wasn't even, I don't think, like you can ask my dad sometime, I don't think I was a crazy off-the-wall person. But at the same time, it was just like, this is what I have to do. And then yet, as we get older, maybe, silence changes. But silence can be a form of boredom. We wish there was something happening. We wish that we could be doing something different. And when it's too quiet, there's nothing going on, it feels a little bit like boredom. Parents, you will understand this one. Uh, when, you, when there is silence, it means that there is trouble, you hear all of them, you know where they are in the house, you know what's going on. It could be this way in a classroom for teachers too, even if you don't care, something, you know, like you know where they are and you know what's going on. All of a sudden, all the silence happens and it takes you about 30 seconds to a minute to go, what's happening? Something changed. I need to figure this out. So silence can mean trouble, but put aside the kids for a minute. Like in any relationship, all of a sudden things go silent and there could be trouble. Could be a friend, could be a spouse, could be a family member, and all of a sudden they stop talking, they stop reaching out, they don't want to be a part of the celebration or something like that, and there's trouble. There's a problem there that silence represents. Silence can also mean freedom. All of a sudden maybe you're retired, and you don't have that space in your schedule that's taken by work every day, and all of a sudden it's like, I am free. Maybe you have that neighbor or that coworker that just wants to come over and talk and talk and talk and talk, right? And then they walk away, and the silence happens. That's a little bit freeing, right? You don't have to continue to have that kind of relationship. And so sometimes silence can mean freedom. And the, and the last thing that I, I identified with silence can also just mean pain. It can mean that we're not able to do something anymore. You've got to give up a hobby. You've got to give up a relationship. You've got to give up uh, something that you love, and you just feel that silence, that void maybe in your life, and you wish that there was space to fill that and busyness to fill around that, and it just doesn't happen, and that's a, that's a painful thing. And, and, and silence, at, this is where I think it's a very intriguing conversation. Where do we fall with this? And I think many of us, as we think through these things, and maybe you thought of a few more, there would be times where we engage these things and we want this kind of silence in our life, and then there's other times where these silences come up and we don't want them to be there. And so how are we interacting with silence? What's our relationship with maybe the silence that's going on in each one of our lives or lack of silence that's going on 
in each one of our lives. Today we're going to bounce around a little bit. We have a few scriptures we're going to go to. And so I would encourage you, if you'd like, grab your Next Steps card that's in front of you or go to our website. You can scan this little QR code. It will take you to our follow-along page um, where you'll get all the verses and all the notes and all that kind of good stuff. You can also ask a question or submit a prayer request. And we would love for you to follow along with us there. It's the easiest way to kind of track with our conversation today. And today I want to start in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And when we step into this passage, right, we know Genesis 1 obviously already happened. God has created everything, and it starts by saying this. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. So all that, all that we see, all that we know, we, you know, trees, animals, all that stuff, it's, it's all done. And then it says this, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, let me, let me just point out something, maybe, that we haven't thought about before. If I stood up here and I was preaching, and I said, God never stops working, you would probably think in your mind, maybe you would amen out loud, you would think through it, yes, that's true. And yet, when we look at this passage, guess what? It says God stopped working. Now, let me couch this, because I'm going to say this a few times in this conversation. I don't want to be misunderstood. While God took this time out for a minute, right? He was still sustaining. He was still God. So did he really stop working? Not quite. He just stopped doing a certain thing. But at the same time, in this passage, it says he took six days. He creates all that we know and see. He goes through this whole process and creates everything. He gets to the end. He says it's good. We see that. And then he says, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to create in that way anymore. And in that sense, he sustained things and and things kind of progressed. He set those dominoes in motion to continue and organisms were created that would continue to be organisms and all that's all still God. But he took a moment and he said, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pause. And I think that, that this is true. If we think about it this way, to rest is to silence our hands and or our mind. I don't know if you thought about this. I've, I've learned this and kind of thought about it um, in different ways over the years. But one of the things that people will say is if you are someone who works with your hands for the most part, in order to rest, you should do something more creative or more with your mind. If you're on the other side of that, your work is more creative, you're a writer, you're a musician, something like that. You need to, in order to rest, you do something where you work with your hands. And so you kind of go on opposite sides of that spectrum to kind of disengage and, and do different things. And, and when we're going to rest, it means that we have to silence our hands and or our mind. We had the funny conversation about sleep, whether silence or sound machine, all that stuff earlier. But in order to sleep, you actually do, your mind keeps going, but you have to physically stop, right? You can't sleep and be moving. You have to lay down or, or sit down or whatever, and you have to actually stop. And so when we rest, we silence what we're doing. And, and what's interesting to me is that this is something that God ordained. This isn't something that just happened because we're human. It's something that happened because God created us this way, and that God actually does this on his own. And not only did he do this, not only did he recognize that the need for rest was there, but also, I would say that to rest is an act of holiness ordained by God. And so when we look at what he says in the last verse there, in verse 3, it says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Not only did he see that 
and say it's important. He said it was holy and interesting through all the days of creation. When he would create something, he said he created it and it was good. He rested and called it holy. And yet, we have, I have, a very hard time doing that. And you think about our, our culture, this makes sense. Most of us don't have just unlimited vacation. So what do you have to do if you're still working and you want to take vacation? You've got to submit the form. You've got to make sure you get it approved. You've got to make sure you're doing all the things, right? And then you have to do all the work that's required to go on vacation. So you've got to do all the things a part of it. We, in our culture, we feel like we have to earn the right to rest, and many of us, including myself, we sit down and if, we, if we're going to sit down and, and do nothing, we almost have to justify it. It has to be a reason why, or I have to have done enough, or I have to whatever, right? I, I have to make sure that I've earned this right. And there is some validity to that, right? We need to do the work. We don't want to be lazy. We want to make sure we're engaging the way we should. But at the same time, we don't necessarily see rest or quiet or silence as holy, yet God calls it holy. And so we have to think about how we interact with rest or interact with silence in certain circumstances. And are we viewing it, are we interacting with it in a way that's true to how God wants us to interact with it? I don't know if you know this, but at one point, God was silent for 400 years. It's a long time. When we think about this, and I'll explain it in a minute, when we think about this, we go, Jesus was around 2,000 years ago, 400 years kind of feels short. But if we think about what 400 years means, uh, our country is not 400 years old. In fact, it was about 400 years ago that the Mayflower landed. Think about the difference of life between Mayflower to now. Anyone been on a cruise before? I think we're thankful for all those developments in how we travel by boat. Very different lifestyle. Very different way of doing things. That 400 years is a massive amount of time. Now, what do I mean that God was silent? We call these the silent, silent years. Here's what this means. The time between the Old Testament, the first section of the Bible, and the time of the second section of the Bible, the New Testament, there's a gap in the middle where we have no new revelation for 400 years. And so we look at the Old Testament and we look at all the stories of Moses and Abraham and David and all those guys. And then God kind of wills it down. We get the prophets and we get the minor prophets and they happen. And then all of a sudden the new revelation from God stops. And then we wait 400 years and that's where Jesus comes on the scene. Now, we know the end of the story. We're on this side of the 400 years by a long shot. So we see what's going on with those 400 years. But for the people that were a part of those 400 years, it had to feel like an eternity. You've got all this stuff that God's doing with the nation of Israel and all these people and things, and, and he's doing so much, and he's making a lot of promises. We're going to read that in a minute. He made a ton of promises, and then all of a sudden, God stops talking and doesn't seem to be fulfilling the promises as quickly as we thought he would. And maybe they even found themselves in the midst of 400 years. There's a generation that goes by. They didn't hear anything. If you're the next generation, well, that generation didn't hear, so maybe we will. That generation doesn't hear anything. Maybe the next generation. And you get so far down the line, like you get 300 years into this, and all of a sudden there's probably something going on where we start to think, is God really still doing anything? And why would they think that? One of the passages that we read often at Christmas is Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to go there, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 7 in our conversation today. So Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1, 
It says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Now, let me pause for a minute. That first sentence, it's not just talking about the 400 years, but I think the people at that time would have felt this way. That this time of darkness, this time of despair, when God's not talking to us, he seemingly forgot us, he's not, he's not doing anything right now, he's not having the conversation with us, it says it won't go on forever. It says the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a, in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Verse 3, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. Verse 4, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders and you will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Verse 5, the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will be burned, and they will be fuel for the fire. This is the part where we hear a lot around Christmas. Verse 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. These are big promises. I mean, this is one passage, right? One little seven-verse section. And yet when the nation of Israel would look at this, they'd say there's a king going to be coming, and this is great, and he's going to overthrow the oppressor and all of this stuff, and then all of a sudden, nothing happens for a while. And they would look back at these verses and think, when, it, when is this happening? Like, the anticipation was there, and they, they thought it was coming, and they, it just didn't happen. Maybe you've been in a situation, maybe even in a Christmas situation, where you thought a gift was coming your way. You had the thing circled in the catalog, or you had the list, or you were hoping for the bonus, or, or whatever, and you're thinking, this is going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Then for a long time, it just doesn't. And for the people at this time, before Jesus shows up on the scene, this was their life, waiting in, in what we would call silence. And again, it's kind of like when God rested. He wasn't not God. It wasn't that he wasn't sustaining things and still doing things, but he wasn't speaking to them in a way he had. And one of the things that we're going to do as we go through this series is look at the people who were there when that light did shine in the darkness. What happened out of the darkness? And for the people that were around at Jesus' time when Jesus was born, what, what did that look like? And we're excited to look at those. But before we got there, they were just sitting and waiting. And here's what I think is true. That God's silence is often a result of the work he has done or a sign of the work he is going to do. When he rested the first time, it was because he created the world. Six days, created it all. Now what's he do? He rests. His interaction, his, his demeanor changes in that moment. What is he doing before he gets to and before Jesus is born? He's quiet. But what will come after that silence Jesus would be born, and the story of the world would change forever. And so it's interesting that God at different times interacts differently, and seemingly what maybe we would call silence, he stops doing what he was doing or starts doing things in a different way so that we'll see him differently. And in Romans chapter 5, I just want to read verse 6 quickly. This is what Paul says to us. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 
Paul gives us a little bit of, of a peek into this for a second and says, it wasn't an accident that Jesus came when he came. It wasn't as though God kind of made all these promises and then decided, uh, let's just wait a little while. Let's see how this goes. We'll kind of feel it out, see when we want to do this. Ah, 400 years went by. I guess we'll maybe take our time. And may, all right, Jesus, let's go now, right? It wasn't just like all of a sudden they de- he decided that this was going to happen. Th- there was a plan to this. And Paul tells us that this was something that he was planning, that he came at just the right time. And so the question that comes to my mind, maybe it comes to your mind too, is why was this the right time for Jesus to come? Why was this the moment? Why, were, why was the stage set perfectly for Jesus to show up at this time? And so there's a phrase in, in history, actually, that was coined, and it's not a Bible term. It's not something that uh, theologians came up with. But there's this time frame when Jesus came that actually set the stage perfectly. And there's a name for this given, and I can never quite say it right, but Pax Romana is the way that you say it, or peace of Rome, or Roman peace. And maybe if you've studied history, this is something you've heard before. But the idea is simply this, that that there was a peace time when the Roman Empire came to power. Now here's what that means. That does Those two phrases I just said don't sound right, but here's what I mean. During that 400 years, uh, like we said, God was not absent. He was just not speaking in the same way. What was he doing? He was allowing the stage to be set for what Jesus was going to do. And part of that process during that 400 years was that the Roman Empire came to power. And so immediately, right, that that means there was some conflict, right, because the Romans were overthrowing people. But eventually what happened is people kind of saw the Romans coming, and they would not really fight back very much. I mean, they kind of took over. They had all the power. They had the ability to kind of just dominate the culture, And they created this space, this bubble, this umbrella that really took care of most of the known world at that point. And and in the midst of this, Jesus comes. Now, why is this important? Why would God pick this time frame? And depending on where you go to study or what you look at, there's a few different characteristics of this time frame that really stand out. But I want to point point out four of them just briefly. The first thing that was important for this was that there was a common government. One of the things we've talked about as we, as we went through the book of Luke this year was we looked at the times where someone, or they would go and they would want to take Jesus and they wanted to put him on trial and they took him to the council and then where did they go? They go to Pilate because Pilate was the Roman official that had some say in what was going on. And the Romans, the way they would function was they would kind of, as long as the government of your area or your country or your territory, whatever, as long as you could kind of function on your own, they really didn't want to get involved. They wanted to hold this higher umbrella and make sure everybody was paying their taxes, doing the things they needed to do. But if they could, if these smaller governments could kind of just rule themselves and they didn't have to get their hands dirty there, they would let that happen. But overall, they've got this government that's being ruled a large swath of land at the same time. And so that creates some commonality, right? The first thing it creates is a common language. Many of them started to speak the same language, started to write in the same language, and because of that government that was stretching all of this space, you go from one side to the other and you can speak the same language. Maybe you've been in a situation where you find yourself in another country and how difficult it is to speak the language or or communicate with someone if you don't know that language, even if you know like a little bit of it and trying to have a conversation, it's impossible. But at this point, there was a common language that was established. The third thing that I want to point out is there were established roadways. The Romans were really good at paving, and they needed to pave because they needed to move troops and supplies to supply their 
dominion over these other countries. And so once those roads were paved, by the way, you can still see some of them if you go to this area of the world. And they would move and they would do things. And then all of a sudden, those roads are still there. So all of a sudden, travel becomes so much easier for people. And they could use those roads and get to spaces on the other side of this Roman Empire and being able to communicate and travel and all this stuff. And what did that create? Last thing, a flourishing economy. In the midst of all this, if you can speak to people well, you can travel well, you can get to them and you can have different trading going on and different commerce happening and all of that stuff, it creates an economy where things are positive and they're growing and there's a desire to build more business with each other. And what does that create? It creates a space where in the midst of Jesus coming, there's this soil of people traveling all over, having conversations, doing business together, and they can communicate and the message of the gospel could spread so much more easily because of the connectiveness of this time. It's an incredible thing to think about that God would actually be in the midst of that process. That even when, the, when Jesus was teaching, and we talked about this a little bit, the Israelites were hoping that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. And in fact, it was a piece of the puzzle that God would use to help the word of Jesus spread. And so when they would write things down and they would share this information or they would travel and they would communicate with each other, it meant that they could tell this story. And we know from reading a couple weeks ago that everybody in Jerusalem knew the story of Jesus. Everybody knew what was happening. So guess what? People come in and out of Jerusalem. They're trading. They're conversating. Did you hear about this Jesus guy? Did you hear what he's doing? Did you hear about the miracle? Did you hear that he died? Did you hear he rose again? And all of a sudden this, this chatter can happen because everybody's connected and everybody can have the conversation. And the story of Jesus could spread, and then the early church could grow. And it was an incredible time for God to kind of set the stage in a way that no one expected for the story of Jesus and the early church to spread. And here's what I think is true. Sometimes God doesn't change our circumstances. He works through our circumstances. Like we said, the, the, the Israelites wanted Jesus. If he was the Messiah, they wanted him to get rid of the Roman government. That's what they were hoping for. And even Jesus taught against it at times because that wasn't his role. And the reason that it wasn't his role was because this was a massive piece that God had in place so that the word could spread, so that this could be a part of the conversation. And so sometimes this can happen for us. We want God to change what's happening in our life. We want him to give us the freedom from something or change the silence we're experiencing or change the diagnosis or change the family dynamic or whatever. And we ask for those things to happen and God says, no, that's not the way it's going to go. In fact, what's going to happen is I'm going to work through those circumstances instead of changing those circumstances. But here's the challenge for us when that happens. This can feel a lot like silence to us. When God says no and God says, nope, we're going to let this play out. It feels like God is silent. But what did he do after creation? He stops creating. He's not doing that the same way anymore. It doesn't mean that the pieces aren't still falling into place. Before Jesus comes, he's not communicating the same way. He's not interacting the same way. And what does that mean? The pieces are still falling into place. God is still God. He's still working. He's still doing. But it feels like at times for us that he was silent. And so sometimes we find ourselves in those moments of, God, please change this. And he says no, and we feel, or, we, or we feel like maybe he didn't even say no. We feel like maybe he just went, I, nope, 
Like, I'm just going to step away. Not going to do anything. Maybe there's times in life where we feel like God is moving and doing, and we see him, and he shows up, and he changes something, and he does something amazing, and then other times it just stops. We go, where are you? What are you doing? It feels like silence, but really, it's God simply working through those circumstances. And I think we know this um, when it comes to how we were created, but we don't think this way in terms of God sometimes, and it's simply this, that silence or rest is necessary for the best work to be done. When I would have students or I had, you know, players on teams I've coached and maybe you've heard this too, right? You're going to study for the big test. Is it a good idea to just study through the night and not sleep? No, you want to study. You want to get ahead on things. You want to make sure that you get it in your brain and then you, you sleep. You take a break. It, let, it lets it sink into your brain. Or if you've got a big game, you know, you don't want to be working out and working out and working out. You want to make sure that you rest your body so that you can engage the next day. I'll give you a little... Uh, picture into into my world. One of the things that I do when I'm going to preach a sermon is I try and get the work done a couple weeks ahead of time or at least earlier that week and I try and step away and I, I don't touch it for a few days because I want it to just kind of sink in. And, and honestly, there's some days I step away from it and I get to Sunday morning, I'm like, do I remember what I'm going to preach on? And then I get to here, right? I get here and I open up, I go, oh yeah, there it is. Right. Why? Because I did the work and it's in my brain, but I had to take a break to let it kind of settle. We get this And you've seen this in our own lives, but we don't think this way with God, but I think this is the way he acts. And we know this with Jesus too, right? Like there were times when he would do a, he would have a massive day of ministry. And what did he do? He went away by himself to be quiet, to pray, to reconnect with God. What does God do, right? We we see this over and over, and it feels weird to say this about God, but Sometimes rest is necessary for the best work to be done. Sometimes when God is doing something in our life, he takes a break and does something a little bit different to set the stage for something we didn't see coming. And yet sometimes we feel like that's a silence. So kind of going back to the beginning of the conversation we had, I don't know where you're at. We went through those scenarios of silence. I don't know where you're at with how you feel about the silence in your life or the lack of silence in your life for a minute. But I want to kind of land the plane and help us know what to do with this and kind of see if we can put some legs to this, specifically in the season we're in. The question is this, what will we do with the silence? What will we do with it? I want to talk to maybe a group that has more silence than they wish they had right now. So maybe you have felt the loneliness or, or the pain of the silence and you wish things were different or life has changed recently and there's something happening there. And I would say that when that happens, when we have more silence than we wished for, that we would lean in and say, what is God doing through that silence? Why, why has God given me this silence to work with? What's something that I can step into or be a part of or connect with that would alleviate some of that silence that I I haven't had in the past? Because here's what I also know about looking at these passages. The silence that God does is not empty, right? It's not laziness. It's not that he just stops doing things and it's not important. No, no, no. There's, There's a point to what he's doing. There's work that's happening in the midst of all of it. So what is the silence that God's doing if you've got this silence available to you in your life? But then there's the other half of us, right? Or the other group of us. And I think that most of us, or yeah, most of us would say this. Most of us say we need more silence. We have all the things happening. 
we've got the job, we've got the work, we've got the kids, we've got the whatever, and the schedule is already there. We're already looking at December going, I'm ready for January. And maybe we'll get there and go, I need a holiday from the holidays. It's just crazy. Because again, we look at what culture brings to us. What do they say? No, you've got to do all the things. You've got to go to all the parties. You've got to bake the cookies. You've got to get the tree. You've got to get the presents. You've got to do the thing. And, and we are fed these things that we have to do. It was interesting. I was listening to someone talk about this the other day, and they said it was never this way before, but the reason why it is, and I'm not a big person that goes, goes oh, cell phone, social media, bad, but it's because we have a giant advertisement that just keeps telling us what to do. And so when we listen to that in an unhealthy way, we're told we're not doing what we're supposed to because we're not doing the things. And really what God says and what God even practices is there's a time to stop and to rest and to connect. And so those of us that might feel like there's no silence, the challenge is how do we find it and what do we do with it? And here's the space that's not helpful silence. Helpful silence is not just scrolling and watching something to disconnect for a while. Like how do we actually rejuvenate ourselves and connect in a way that's helpful and profitable to us, especially in our spiritual walk in the way that we are interacting with God in this season. You know, we, we use this phrase silent nights and sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. The question is, what are we going to do with it? And in the midst of this craziness, I'm going to call kind of a timeout and say, how are we going to leverage this for a good thing? How are we going to interact in a positive way with silence, no matter whether we feel like we have too much or too little? And really, some of that is just how we decide to deal with it. Here, here's what I know. When, on the days, and there's certain days, we've all done this. We wake up and we go, I just have to get through today. Just have to. And sometimes that's because you're going to have to go through something you don't like. Sometimes it's because you're trying to get something you do like, right? The day before you get to go on vacation, it's usually a, how do I just get through today so I can get to vacation, right? So sometimes it's not bad, but, but here's what I know. Those days are never the best days when we're trying to just get through it. And Christmas, sometimes we think, maybe it's just me, I just got to get through it. Christmas isn't supposed to be a dentist appointment. It's supposed to be something that we actually celebrate and are excited about. And I'm not talking just from a holiday standpoint, because I also heard somebody saying, not somebody I knew personally, but just listening to somebody, they said, I wish all holidays would disappear. They're like, I, it's too much work. I would not, like, just let me go through the rest of my time. Right? I don't want, and I'm not even just talking about from a holiday perspective, but when we identify what we, church, right, whether you're part of our church, global church, whatever, what we're celebrating is the birth of a Savior. It's not something to get through. It's something to leverage for our spiritual growth. And I'm saying the way to do that, one of the ways to do that, not the only way, one of the ways is to say, how am I leveraging my silence? Whether I have too much or too little, I've got to figure out what to do with that. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to practice this a little bit. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and they're going to play for a little bit. Sorry, Dan, throwing a little curveball. They're going to play for a little bit. And in the midst of that, as they're just playing quietly, I know I'm going to the opposite, by the way. I'm like, ah, oh, we need silence. And I'm saying, band, come start playing. I get it. It's just so you're not distracted when everyone's coughing and sniffing, okay? So they're going to come. They're going to play a little bit. And here's what I want you to do. I just want us to pause and just say, 
beginning of Christmas season-ish, how do we leverage the silence? And for those of us that feel like they have too much, the question is, what can I do with that to grow my relationship with God or to invest in other people, invest in ministry, invest in whatever? How, how do I do that when I feel like I've got too much silence? The other side of that is, how do I do this if I've got no silence? And where will you find the silence that you so desperately need? And here, here's how I want you to do that. Just be quiet for a little bit and just ask the Holy Spirit, what am I supposed to do with this? What's the space where I can find to be silent? What's the best way to do that? And just see where you're led to go and ask him to interact with you. So the band's going to play for just about a minute or so, and then we'll go into our, our last song, and I'll come up and wrap us at the end.